they just won the right to hold an election, Steve. So they're going to court, uh, in, I think next week, to formulate when will that election be held, all that stuff. So I find out today, oh, suddenly Amazon was doing mandatory union busting sessions for months, but they stopped during the holidays. Maybe the COVID Omicron surge made them stop the daily mandatory union busting sessions. But I found out suddenly after the National Labor Relations Board gives them the right to hold an election, all of a sudden the union busting sessions are restarting today. So we were leaked a little snippet from one of these sessions. And guess what? The general manager at this warehouse in Staten Island was demanding that workers not scheduled to be in the meeting leave. <laughs> I'm going to play the video. I'm going to play the video. Uh, the audio is not amazing because it's from a, you know, it's shot by a worker, but I think it's usable. We put captions. So you understand this is a mandatory training. Amazon calls it a training. It's a union busting session. And listen to the dynamic where the general manager is demanding that workers not scheduled to be there leave. Here's the dynamic, Steve. Here's the dynamic. These mandatory union busting sessions that Amazon was doing in November, parts of December, and then they stopped for a little bit. The Amazon workers that are trying to form the union 
were kept disrupting the anti-union busting sessions. So they would, and we got video of that and audio of that, and we broke stories on that. Amazon labor union work uh, workers, so workers that are part of Amazon labor union, which is the group trying to form the union, they would interject and and push back during the propaganda during these mandatory union sessions. They would push back on you know uh, Amazon executives saying, "Oh well, you know you you know they could force you to pay dues." Oh, well, they're a third party. Basically, they would keep pushing back throughout these daily, because at the time it was daily, they were doing these mandatory union busting sessions. So they would push back. So now all of a sudden, after Amazon stopped doing those sessions for whatever reason, they stopped for a month or two, probably due to COVID, you know, Omicron was surging, probably not best to pack the rooms. Now, all of a sudden, after the National Labor Relations Board has granted them a union, uh, excuse me, a vote, not a union, but a vote for a union. Now they're bringing back the sessions and it's almost like a VIP list of who is who is invited into the sessions. And interestingly enough, the people that they're asking to leave are the workers with Amazon labor union who are trying to unionize. So it's just very, very interesting that all of a sudden Amazon decides to hold these sessions again. All of a sudden, there's a very exclusive list of who can sit in the sessions and who cannot, and that they were trying to, they didn't say anyone associated with Amazon labor union must leave, but I mean, the source that sent it to me said, yeah, the people not scheduled to be there were us, the Amazon labor union <laughs> workers. So it just shows you Amazon again, they're trying to get rid of the dissent out of that meeting so that they could do full propaganda to workers to talk them out of voting yes for the union. Wow. All I, I mean, all I could say is, wow. I mean, this is, this is labor busting one Oh one. This is exactly what they do everywhere you go. It's interesting to see because we've been so far removed from real honest union activity for so long to see the seeds of it being germinated and watching it be watered and then watching the, the, the comeback of the corporate lords as they try to fight back what it just you know it's it's pretty wild to watch happening in real time let me throw yeah. this at you jordan so when you had to watch the video of them union busting when you watch the actual practice in action were you convinced not to join a union that did, did it did it push you over the edge did it make you go i see the failure of my ways i want to just work for you now i mean it, or was it like laughable i mean what, what where what what, what was it that enticed you, if anything, seriously, did they put anything on the table that made you say, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I won't join a union now. Well, it all, I could tell you my reaction, but I yes, don't think my reaction. reaction is, is who they're, they're not trying to influence me. So for example, my reaction is the more you tell me to do something, or the more you tell me not to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to question your motives. Why, why, why are we, why is this a training session yet? There is no training. It's just telling me why I shouldn't vote yes on this union, but they're not trying to reach me, a 35 year old who does this for a living and knows how corrupt and evil they are. Now, having been there and this is Amazon, but this is also other places when the bus drops off the workers, right? It's a whole lot of young people. It is a lot of younger people. I don't know the exact data, but my guess would be 18 to 25, 
Yeah, there's older workers too, but Amazon is hiring. They're hiring a lot of people uh, with no high, you know, maybe graduated high school or didn't graduate high school. A lot of people with no college degree, no disrespect to those people, but that's, that's their seasonal workers, that kind of thing. It's a lot of younger people and younger people. Do, well, most people, but younger people in particular do not know their, their labor rights uh, desperately need the job, desperately need the job uh, are more susceptible to the propaganda that, Oh, these Amazon work. Cause really in a lot of these mandatory media uh, union busting sessions, they make it seem like the the workers trying to unionize, they're trying to scam you, the the workers. They're trying to get right. you to pay dues, get you to fork over um, some of their some of your hard earned money to the union. They're they're actually it's a business. They're it's not a union. It's a business, and they're trying to make profit. So, not only at Amazon, but I would say at a lot of these places, you have a lot of younger workers. Don't have a lot of other options because we live in the United Corporations of America. We live in the economic hunger games and they want to hold on to this job that is paying them at least $15 an hour at Amazon. Some benefits, even though they're working, you know, 12 hour shifts, even though they're being, you know, being watched uh, They have to be quotas. If they even leave for five minutes to pee reprimand. I mean, we know all the horror stories about Amazon. So for me, Steve, no, it would make me more likely to join the union. But right. the reason the reason that that general manager is demanding that the Amazon union, the Amazon labor union workers leave the meeting is so that they have direct access to the workers that aren't part of the union effort so that they could propagandize them and convince them that they're being scammed. Let me, let me tell you why I asked you that question. If you go back and you look at like countrywide and you look at city and all those different uh, mortgage companies that blew up the economy in 08 and 09, one of the primary things they did was they preyed on young, young people that had never, ever had a job in their life and said, we'll give you obscene riches, basically, if you'll just do this horrible thing. And they preyed on the young people's minds and they preyed on their lack of knowledge of the world around them and literally forced them to become criminals, basically. And you could see the exact same sort of thing with the young community there as a, a, a notorious rich son of a bitch that has like absolutely no pulse. I mean, this guy is a sociopath as they're preying on them, trying to prevent them from doing anything in their own best interest. Once again, they always find the young, they find the vulnerable, they find the weak, they find someone that doesn't know the ignorant, whatever it is, and they predate upon them. And once again, this is what a union's there for. A union literally protects the weakest link in the chain to ensure that no man is left behind. There's a union saying an injury to one is an injury to all. And I think that when you have them older workers in there that know better, that have been around the block, the people that are already ready to fight for a union, they know exactly what the hell time it is. They, and the, the, the Amazon folks know exactly what time it is. And it's no secret why those union busting meetings started again, because they probably thought they had it under the, they had it one. They probably thought that this wouldn't come to be. They probably thought they were in good shape. And when all of a sudden they were granted the right to do this, it was like, oh shit, we got to get back to it. We, I right. bet you they didn't see that coming. Now, Steve, you're an MMT guy. 
uh, modern monetary mm. theory. You've teach me a lot about it. So there was an article in the New York Times <laughs> that if you, Colin, if we could pop it up, uh, if you just look at the headline and stuff like that, it kind of looks like a positive piece. So it says, is this what winning looks like? Modern monetary theory, the buzziest economic idea in decades, got a pandemic tryout of sorts. Now inflation is testing its limits. And it has a picture of Dr. Stephanie Kelton, um, who is, I don't know, uh, one of the mothers uh, or fathers, you know, whatever you would call it. She has of, become what you call the popular popularizer of MMT for sure. She's definitely the out front face of MMT right now. Right. No so... Question. So she started getting a little bit more attention, I would say, start, starting during um, Bernie's campaign, the 2020 campaign. There were more articles on modern monetary theory. Basically, it has the appearance of a positive piece, but if you actually read it, they're basically blaming MMT and modern monetary theory for inflation right now, correct? Yeah, so what what they've done is, I mean, it's not a horrible piece. I mean, just to be fair, it's not a horrible piece. It says some things that are really wrong, okay? It does get some things wrong. Um, but really what it does is, like a lot of things, it leaves you with these questions, right? And the questions, the way they frame them, are, are really framed in such a way that it kind of lays the burden on MMT. Like MMT has somehow or another failed because there's inflation right now. And, and, and what it fails to do is, I guess, first of all, understand that, number one, MMT wasn't a, a consulted driver in, in how any of the policies were put forward, how any of the responses were done. And what MMT always talks about, and it's just a very straightforward thing, it's not a cash constraint. There's no issue with whether we can afford these things or not. The issue is always about do we have the real resources to, to do it? It's, it's like, do we have enough hospitals? You know, so if we push Medicare for all, for example, right now, what would happen? We don't have nearly enough doctors, nurses, uh, hospitals, um, clinics, you name it, to really handle all the demand that would come out. So a proper MMT response would be, let's start building clinics. Let's start building out the infrastructure to support rolling out universal health care so that there aren't six-hour lines that the GOP or somebody else can point at and go, see, we told you it would suck. You know, and, and so this is kind of the I told you so moment because there's inflation. The government spent money. So naturally, that's why we have inflation. But it's not it. And and. The good news is, is that the article says, while MMT may be correct, there's still questions that have to be answered. So in that vein, I think, well, that that's not a horrible thing because the people that can answer that are there to answer it if they'll ask the right people. But instead, right. they ask people like Larry Summers and so forth. And you always get a bastardized answer. So it's that's part and parcel with the problem here. And let me read uh, just this part here. Um uh, when Miss Kelton appeared on a Bloomberg podcast episode, how MMT won the fiscal policy debate in early 2021, inflation had bounced back to around 2%. But by a chilly January afternoon, as ducks flew over the frosty estuary outside Miss Kelton's house <laughs> near Stony Brook, where she teaches, inflation had rocketed up to 7%. The government's debt pile has exploded to $30 trillion up from about 10 trillion at the start of 2008's downturn and 5 trillion in the mid 1990s. The good news, the government has had no trouble selling bonds to fund its spending, 
contrary to the direct projections of deficits goals. The bad news, some economics blame big spending in the pandemic for today's rapid price increases. The government will release fresh consumer price index data this week, and it is expected to show inflation running at its fastest pace since 1982. Hey, Steve, I'm not a MMT economist, um, but how exactly has, quote unquote, big spending during the pandemic, how is that driving up gas prices? How is that driving up prices at the supermarket? How is that driving up anything when we literally have already had the Federal Reserve Chair, Jerome Powell, admit uh, under with uh, Elizabeth Warren was grilling him, basically saying, oh, well, yeah, I mean, the prices are going up because, you know, companies could jack up their prices. And at the same time, charging more on top of that to fatten their profit margins. Uh, you know, they're they're raising prices because they can. Well, that's the point. They're raising prices because they can and they're not being competed down. I mean, he basically admitted because they can. So this this um, narrative and how the New York Times frames it, okay, not a horrible article, that it has something to do with the amount of spending we've done. I don't see any data to, that supports that. No, it's, it's not that. In fact, uh, Warren Mosler put out a tweet earlier today that showed that demand is not driving the inflation. So in other words, the idea of everybody having all this money that's been printed is creating this inflation. He's like, clearly that's not the case, right? And you can see over and over again, think about it. We came out of the pandemic. They were still pumping oil out of the ground. They weren't like not refining oil. Oil was still being done, but we slowed our roll down. I mean, there was not nearly the number of cars on the road. There wasn't nearly the amount of travel in the air. So there, the fuel, you know, being scarce isn't the issue, right? Obviously, it's not the issue. Releasing the strategic oil reserves, which Biden did, still not the issue. I mean, ultimately, this is price gouging Saudi style. And, and quite frankly, Russian style, Russia has been, you know, playing games with the price of the fuel they put out as well. So between Saudi Arabia and Russia, they have really, really jacked the price of that up. But you look, one of the more important things, and I think this is really key, is, is the cost of housing and things like that. The cost of rent. People have jacked rent up. What, would suddenly the mortgage get higher? I don't know, unless you've got a, a variable interest rate. Most likely 30%. your, your, your price is state. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. It's one up 30%. 30%. So I don't really know how, like, how did the $1,400 check, that wonderful $1,400 check that Biden gave you <laughs> and the temporary, the temporary, you know, one year, Oh, we canceled child poverty or we cut it in half the child tax credit. What does that have to do with these vulture real estate developers who have bought off the local city governments, jacking up everybody's rent by 30%. So when you when you spend money at the top, which we've already talked about so many times, but when you spend money at the top, it allows for these things called asset bubbles to happen. And so you see them driving up the cost at the top rung, the, the wealthy doing this, right? And, and this is what largely a lot of the spending was done. This was not targeted spending. This was, you know, kind of indiscriminate spending. They weren't spending on regular people. That wasn't really what was going on. I mean, we fought tooth and nail to get a $2,000 check, and it was a laugher. I mean, it was a total laugher. Of all the monies that you saw in Trump's plus the Biden uh, relief bills, almost none of that money made it to, to Main Street. Almost all of it made it to the top. So, you know, it clearly was not driven 
by consumer spending. It clearly wasn't driven by printing money kind of thing, the lie that they so often tell. But you can clearly say that the asset inflation at the top, while the, the speculative markets are going crazy, that's definitely a something. And that's definitely right. a something that needs to be addressed. But that right, right. there isn't causing your, your bread to be more expensive. Not right. at all. But also, to me, what is amazing is they're, and we're going to talk about Mansion in a little bit, but they're quoting the $30 trillion debt. But they were freaking out about the $10 trillion debt and the $15 trillion debt and the $20 trillion <laughs> debt. And I mean, the sky has not fallen. This. This, the sky has not fallen. I mean, for a personal, like for a family, yeah, that would be pretty bad if you're, I don't know, $30,000 in debt. But I don't know. The sky has not fallen on the United Corporations of America. Stock market's booming. The rich are getting richer. We're still, you know, yep. struggling, fighting for the scraps. So they just, they, they throw out these terms. And the media has also kind of helped out Mansion uh, by giving credence to this. Oh, we got to start paying it back. You know, it's like this merry-go-round. Now it's time we're, we're around. We, we've gotten back to the debt side of things. Right. We, we, we sell bonds not as a funding operation, but as an operation for taking money out of the economy, for slowing purchasing power, or for to provide a basic income for the wealthy. That's That's where the bonds come from. You know, and when they talk about jacking up interest rates and things like that, do you think that that right there is really going to uh, help stop inflation? No, really, it's a basic income for the rich once again. So you're just pumping more money into the top end again. You know, the MMT scholars would tell you flat out, let's eliminate bond sales or at least limit them to three month bond sales. That's Warren Mosler's proposal to have a zero interest rate policy permanently. We eliminate the bond sales problem solved. Right. right. So I didn't say it's completely problem. So there's a lot of other problems to solve, but that one problem is solved. But the national debt is nothing more than the sum total of every untaxed dollar in the economy today. That's it. So when you talk about paying back the debt, who are we paying back? Jordan, who are we paying back for a, who in the hell are we paying back? We're not paying anyone back. Right. The idea is like when China buys bonds. Right. What is China doing? China earned a shitload of U.S. dollars by selling all their goods and services into the United States. Well, they look at this U.S. dollars and they go, what the hell are we going to do this? We, we use, uh, you know, ch uh, Chinese yuan back there in China. We don't sit there and use U.S. dollars. Or maybe we use some U.S. dollars, but we don't need that many U.S. dollars. So right. what do they do? They go ahead and stock it into treasury bonds at the Fed, earn a nominal interest rate, and it keeps facilitating their ability to conduct commerce with the United States. But if they wanted to save in a different currency, they could just easily get rid of those bonds and buy bonds for another country. This is not anything uh, big. You know, this is a stupid thing. And the idea that this debt, which they're using their U.S. dollars that they earned, to earn just an interest rate off of their, it's like a time box savings account, nothing more than that. And, right. and your bank doesn't sit there and go bankrupt because it gave you 2% interest. This this is a bunch of poppycock. It's a bunch of bullshit. And, and it's time that, you know, I, I really wish we could have like a big $500 a plate meal, bring all those people in, all those media people in and sit them down and give them the once over about what the national debt is. Make them all hear it at the same exact time and literally eliminate this bullshit from the conversation because it's tired and it's old and it's weird. It's time to stop talking about it. It really is dumb.
But they well, keep using because they know the average person doesn't have a clue what the hell they're talking about. Mansion. Mansion, mansion, mansion. You know, we've covered mansion, and basically it's kind of been like a all right, this isn't breaking news kind of situation, but it's it's <laughs> starting to get pretty egregious, even for me. Colin, if you could play uh the clip mansion yesterday on CNN. Build Mac better. Uh is it dead? Is there any opportunity for it to come back uh, with well, the, your support? The Build Back Better, as, as it has been presented uh, over, what, the last seven, eight, nine months, mm -hmm. that bill no longer will exist, okay? Should there be parts of it? Do you want to talk about different things? I think the president said there might be certain parts and this and that. My biggest concern and my biggest opposition, it did not go through the process. Whether Lisa votes for it or not being a Republican, she should have at least the opportunity to have input. It should have gone through the committee. Mr. Manchin's biggest issue is it didn't go through the proper committee. Uh, it didn't get, you know, uh, you know, the proper stamp, uh, all this shit. So <laughs> while Joe Manchin says his biggest problem with Build Back Better wasn't, you know, children that he's going to make hungry again by doing away with the child tax credit, uh, wasn't seniors in West Virginia that are going to continue to go on with no teeth or de decaying teeth. I, I could go on and on. Uh, his biggest problem was the committee, but interestingly enough, Steve, this is from CNBC, former Joe Manchin aides lobbied his office, Congress, on Build Back Better during the lead up to Senator rejecting the bill. Shocking. Former aides to Senator Joe Manchin lobbied his office and others in Congress on behalf of several corporate giants in the run up to his announcement that he wouldn't support Biden's $1.75 trillion climate and social spending. The former Manchin aides lobbied on behalf of companies like Unilever, T-Mobile, Best Buy, Kinder Morgan, Perpetua Resources, and Givo. Multiple expansion aides have picked up several lucrative clients. You don't say. They've previously lobbied for industries such as coal, pharmaceuticals, oil and gas, tobacco, and finance. Manchin himself has seen an uptick in contributions. So his big shtick was it didn't go through the proper committees. Meanwhile, all his former top aides are cashing in as lobbyists. And going back to say it ain't Joe uh, to influence him. I don't know. I don't know how much I think he was already there uh, to bury, bury any programs for working class people or more importantly, bury tax increases or anything like that. But it gets better. It gets better. So now you have billionaire Republican donors are now giving to Manchin and cinema. This is from Forbes. So as Manchin and Cinema stood in the way of President Joe Biden's agenda last year, they attracted the support of a small but very rich cohort, billionaires who gave money to Tr Donald Trump's previous campaigns. In 2021, Manchin and Cinema received campaign contributions from at least 13 billionaires who previously donated to Trump. According to an analysis of federal election commissions among the donors, Continental Resource Chairman Harold Hamm, investor Ken Langen, Langone, and Apollo Private Equity CEO Mark Rowan, at least 10 gave to Manchin, while at least six gave to Cinema. Some of the billionaires gave to both. Such support is new. Between 2017 and 2020, only three billionaires gave to both Trump and Manchin. One gave to Cinema. Uh, Bernie, actually, you know, at least we get a tweet. That's about all we're getting these days in terms of a fight from Bernie or, or the elected progressives. Bernie tweeted, this is what a corrupt political system looks like. This is why billionaires get richer. This is what oligarchy is all about. So, Steve, I just lined it up in a row for you. 
Joe Manchin says, hey, my one, my main thing was this isn't really, it didn't go through committees. You know, my <laughs> friend, Susan, my, so, my, my friend Lisa Murkowski wasn't con consulted enough, blah, 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 blah. Then we see, oh, you know, all his top aides are lobbying him from all these corporations. Oh, all these Republican billionaires are stuffing his plate with uh, Benjamins. So all of this, let's see what Ro Khanna had to say about this. What is your view of where the focus should be of Democrats in this midterm year? Um, you've sort of had interesting takes on uh, Senator Manchin, for example, where you said, I understand what he's dealing with. He's, he's running in West Virginia, a state that voted for Donald Trump overwhelmingly. Some of your progressive colleagues have suggested he be primaried. What do you think that the, your party should be looking at on the, the hopes of holding on to a house? You've had retirements. It, it doesn't look good at this moment from the outside. Well, I'm still cautiously hopeful, but we ought to respect Senator Manchin. We ought to understand where he's coming from. We ought to give him the deference of coming up with what uh, he wants. And he's going to propose climate investments. He's going to say, let's have preschool for every three-year-old and four-year-old. He's going to be for Medicaid expansion. Let's pass that. That will be historic. It'll show we can get something done. I think we ought to get it to the president's desk. So I have a lot of respect for him, and I think we can come uh, to a compromise. Steve, I give you the floor. I, 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 I'm going to tell you the two faces of Rokana. The first face was the one that I met years ago, and I thought, gosh, this man is stately. He could be a president someday. And then I listened to that garbage right there. He understands that what Manchin is throwing up there is a bold face lie. He knows he's on the take. He knows this. These people will not fight publicly. They will not fight. I can't say what they do under the sheets and behind closed doors, but publicly they will not fight. And, and Ro Khanna, I couldn't be more disappointed. There was a period of time where I thought Ro Khanna really could possibly be that bridge between the old and the new and really give us a fighting chance. But he is just a tired shoe. He's a worn out shoe that has literally bought into the entire duopoly aspect of being a, a vote blue no matter who, and he is going to support uh, Manchin no matter what. And this is just a very disappointing, uh, you know, part of his evolution into becoming part of the Democratic machine. His in early stages, I really had so much hope for him. That right there tells me not much to put hope in, not much at all. Very disappointing. And you want to know something? Mansion because he doesn't get any opposition, not a one, not any real opposition. None. He's so he knows. Yeah, no, I mean, this is all a game. Of course, they're going to support me. Colin, if you have this clip, Jake Tupperware asked him, uh, Are you worried? Because Bernie has said you should be primaried. And uh, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer hasn't come out <laughs> supporting you yet. Let's see Mansion's answer. Now you're under fire. It's not the same thing, obviously, uh, but it's you're under fire. For not supporting uh, changing the filibuster rules so as to pass the election reform bills. Bernie Sanders has said he supports a primary challenge to you and to Senator Sinema. Schumer has not said that he is endorsing you. We've talked about that and everything. And I told Chuck and I were talking the other day and I said, Chuck, basically the best thing to say uh, that I would think in a situation like that, but you know, they're going to support. I, I no, no way, shape or form will Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer not support their, their caucus. Right. It just doesn't happen. Now, with that being said, I just said, you know, sometimes uh, you tell me, uh, Jake, I want to be for you. I can be for you or against you. What helps you the most? 
Yeah. In Chuck, it might That's be in Chuck's situation. Yeah. He'll say, Joe, I can be four years against what would help the most. With that, you know, you put a little levity to that, but I, I don't put any stock in that. I've had a primary. I've been running since 1982. Yeah. I have never run unopposed. But I'll never. be there for you, Joe. You're going to endorse him? endorse me? If he's running, I'm, I'm endorsing him. See, there we go. I'll be there for you, Joe. <laughs> I'll be there for you. I'll be there. Uh, I know. Bottom line, Steve, this is not breaking news, but I think it's important to continue showing you this is what corruption is. This is the sickness of this septic fucking country we live in, uh, where this guy, he's taken seriously. The media pretends he's centrist, he's moderate, this and that. He's got his top aides lobbying him from these corporations as he's just suddenly having moral objections against the child tax credit against expanding <laughs> Medicare. You got billionaires flooding his coffers. Uh, it's just, it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. Uh, and this has been normalized. And this is the country we live. Your last thoughts. Well, I mean, him saying, what's going to help you more, me to oppose you or to be with you? I mean, that right there in and of itself, I mean, that's high theater right there. That should tell you all you need to do. I've been saying this for I don't know, for a long time, Jordan, I've been telling you this is political theater at its finest. That right there shows us that it's political theater. But I, I wonder if a guy like Manchin ran for president. He has got all the power in the world from West Virginia, which just is absurd to me. But can you imagine? I mean, what are Republicans going to do? Try and beat him up for being a socialist? No, that won't happen. Maybe, maybe they would go there. Maybe they actually would go there. But I listened to that, and I can tell you right now in the back of my head, in the front of my head, out, in, out of my mouth, this is political theater, and you just saw it on, unopposed right there on that show. They're just absolutely – I mean, I can't even – it's so hard to take it seriously. It defies logic to take this stuff seriously. And you try, try to get a really stern face, well, you know, actually – these people are frigging clowning us. They are absolutely clowning us. And that right there is proof positive. It's the clown show.